Mike Kreisel. Welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast, brought to you by me, Alain Rhys-Chivers. I'm a journalist with Golog Trichlech Dim and a cricket reporter with the ECB Reporters Network. Hi, my name is uh, Stephen Hedges and I'll be co-presenting this podcast with Alan. Uh, I'm the son of Bernard Hedges, the Glamorgan County cricketer of the 1950s and 1960s. I've written a book about him entitled The Player from Ponty. I've also completed an MA at Swansea University about Glamorgan County Cricket Club and the modernisation of cricket. And I'm currently a volunteer with the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket. In this series, we aim to take you on a journey through Welsh cricket past and present, introducing you to just some of the game's many characters and sharing some of the many stories that make the game that we love what it is. We will hear from those involved in cricket in all corners of the country, from the Asian cricket community to those keeping cricket alive in the north. We will also head off to Pontypridd as they celebrate their 150th anniversary, and we'll take a look back in a special Welsh language podcast at the voice of Welsh cricket Edward Bevan's involvement in a historic day for Gowerton Cricket Club at Lords. Okay, thanks, Alan. Um, today's interview is with Albert Francis, MBE. Albert was the groundsman first at Cardiff Arms Park and then later at Sophia Gardens. But in later years, he became well known for his legendary fundraising activities for a number of different charities. In recognition of his phenomenal efforts on behalf of the Ray Gravel and Friends Charitable Trust and others, Albert was awarded an MBE in 2013. Very sadly, less than a year after this interview was recorded, he passed away. Asked to sum him up, both fellow committee member at the Trust, Spencer Davis, and Hugh Morris, Chief Executive of Glamorgan, described him as small in stature, but a giant of a man. Ex-world-class squash player Adrian Davis was a good friend. A list of the people he had to contact about Albert's demise gives you some sense of how far his fundraising efforts reached. Sir Steve Redgrave, Sir Stanley Thomas, Sir Ian Botham, Ryan Giggs and Mark Hughes were all informed of his passing. We are indebted to David Francis, Albert's son, for allowing us to use this interview for our inaugural podcast. When we met, I first asked him how he'd become a groundsman. I started off as a in private gardening, I was a, a, I did horticulture for the first uh, first few years of my life. I did my RHS things in Pubiloid, but I worked in a private garden. There were three gardeners there full time, and we grew all kinds of things. You know, it's a sort of a two acre. We had two acres of kitchen garden with about a hundred fruit trees and then we grew everything inside like you know, grapes, peaches, nectarines, oranges, you know, you name it and we grew it. Uh, and then I went to the Air Force, uh, came out to the Air Force, came back to the job and then I was approached then to go to work for um, the steel company Wales at Trostre and I then became more interested in turf because it was the playing fields plus providing all the flowers and things for for both Trostre and Valindra. So I was in charge of all that. And then Glamorgan came to play in Trostre uh, because in those days they, they didn't play. I think they played more good cricket than they do today because in those days you had a three-day match and the three-day matches started on 
and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So the boys were playing very often seven days a week. And, uh, and, and you'll be amazed. But anyway, um, so I was down at Trostra and Glamorgan came down to play the works team which they used to do in those days when they when they didn't have a match. Like a charity match or a... No, 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 just, um, just to show the flag and give some of the younger Glamorgan players. And um, after the game, Wilf was down there with them and he came on to me and he said, who prepared that wicket? And I said, well, you know, I did. Oh, he said, that was a cracker. And, 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 and anyway, a couple of months later, the head groundsman at Cardiff left, and I was told to apply for it. Glamorgan played six of their county matches in the Arms Park, and I was in charge of the rugby, you know, which is now the national stadium, because Cardiff Athletic owned that whole thing, and Glamorgan had an option on the pitch for six games a year on the cricket and the Welsh Rugby Union had an option on the rugby field for six games a year. And in those days, you see, they played two spring internationals uh, because it was only, you know, and, um, and then they sometimes played an often, you know, a tour inside. Yeah. Uh, but, but in those days, you see, the athletic, it, uh, it was called, although it is Cardiff Rugby Football Club, it came under the auspices of the Cardiff Athletic Club. Now, Cardiff Athletic Club was made up of five different sections. There was a bowl section, there was tennis section, hockey section, cricket and rugby. And uh, they provided a facility for Glamorgan. Albert was very keen to tell me about some of the problems that he encountered as a groundsman, both at Cardiff Arms Park and at Sophia Gardens. It was the first touring side that I prepared a wicket for. Yes. And my, the, yeah, it must have been 61, yeah. Because the fellow that was there before me, he left to go to um, Cardiff City, Des Glover. And what he had done, with the square, because it, it, like all cricket squares, got very compacted. Uh, it got very, very, very compacted. But there was a little machine that they called a Rafael Rejuvenator. I, I'll never forget those, uh, that term. And all that it did was that there was a series of blades on it, and it just slit the ground just slipped in it and, and what he had done he had actually taken this machine right through the square not across wicket wise but like right angles to, 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 to the wicket and there were slits there now every six inches and as you dried out the pitch so the splits opened and I remember J.C. Clay and Will Fuller coming onto the square on a Friday night, because in those days, you see, uh, the touring sides played in Cardiff Whitson weekend and played in St. Helens August. August. Yeah. 
Well, of course, what happened on that particular wicket was that as it was drying out, so the slits were opening. And, uh, you know, it was new to me. Again, here I was with a little armor trying to close the splits. Uh, and I remember J.C. Clay and Wilf coming on and Wilf saying, um, Wilf saying that he hadn't seen a wicket like this in the arms park. It reminded him very much of Australian wickets. Uh, and that was, you know, so, so he didn't say much about it. And then I asked one of my assistants who had been there for a few years, um, what do you think? And he said, oh, it'll be over in two days. Because I didn't sort of give me any confidence at all. But uh, anyway, I remember Gwyn Hughes played in that game. He was a Cambridge player. And he scored a century on the last day. And I remember Sasha Mackay, who was acting captain for Benno. Because in those days, when nine wickets fell, the groundsman used to go out to the field in captain and ask what type of roller he'd want. And I remember Mackay turning around and on a bloody spiker on it is <laughs> because it was flat and I think they used that wicket I think I used that wicket for club and other matches for about a ten of the games and it was as solid as a rock that season? yeah ten games in that season yeah on that one because in those days and funny enough Crofty was talking to me a, a few months ago and he said how many wickets did you have at the Arms Park? And I said, uh, six or seven. And he, good God, he said, we, we, we got about 16 that we said, but we still can't get them right. What Crofty didn't realise, that they play in all kinds of games now. You see, they play in four-day matches, they play 20 overs, they play 50 overs. So they're constantly using wickets all the time. And as soon as you prepare a wicket once, uh, if you go back to it, uh, you know, it hasn't got that, you know, it just hasn't got that sort of springiness, freshness about it, you know. 11 yards from the wicket, which is dead halfway, we put a trench. And when I came back to Cardiff, when I was preparing a wicket, I mean, you wouldn't see it. But it was an indentation right in the middle. So if the ball landed on the down slope, it would go on the ground. But if it landed on the up slope, it would go up in the air. So you didn't know where the hell the ball was going. Because as you were, each every time we were rolling, that part, you know, the roller couldn't get. And it's the same when he came to the wickets, when he came to cutting. <coughs> If I was cutting the cutting wicket, don't forget, now you, you didn't have any grass on, you were trying to take it all off. Well, the mowers wouldn't go down into that, although it was a very small little indentation. It, it was there, and it was about that wide. So I had a, you had a little scissors. Did you get hands and knees and go in? Oh, yeah, just, uh, just, uh, and, uh, but, but this was, you know, a scientific approach to a practical situation. And that's where I feel that people like George, I admire George because... He understood the game. He, yeah, but he understood his ground as well. Yeah. And, uh, and he was a hell of a character. I loved him because he was a little bit older than me. And we had a big friend, Peter Moran, 
was the head groundsman at Old Trafford. And Peter, Peter died about five or six years ago. And uh, he became a very good friend because every year all groundsmen had to go to Lord's or Edgebaston to um, an annual meeting yeah. uh, to see what kind of a wicket they would want us to prepare the following year. And uh, this young boy, Peter Marvin, he always used to like to sit by George and I. Now, <clears throat> and we were there, we were in Edgbaston one year when Tim Lamb, who was then the fellow that was taking these uh, meetings. He was the chief exec of the... Yeah. Well, he... ECB, was that then? Or was yeah, TCB, whatever it was in those days. I remember him, I remember him telling us what kind of a wicket he wanted. And George, as I say, I love George. And uh, I remember Tim saying that um, the kind of wicket we would want next year, or this coming year, this coming season, obviously, he said, we'd, we'd like a little bit of a pace in it, the first day in particular, especially in the morning. And then it would ease off a bit. And then the second morning, a little bit of pace, you know, with the weather. And then in the afternoon, we'd like you to start taking a little bit of spin. And George, with his pipe, shouted out, he said, Oh, tell me, Mr. Lamb, he said, What time in the afternoon would you like you to do? <laughs> oh, I tell you what, the meeting, it, it, it was an absolute uproar. Because, and that, that, that was George, you know. And I know that George, whatever they told George, he would still do it his way. And I tell you what, he knew that square. I'm telling you, he knew that square. <coughs> Cardiff had the finest rugby team they've ever had in the 80s. Right? <clears throat> and all I will say to you about rugby, the rugby boys in that era and before when Edwards was playing in the 70s and what have you, they were more professional in their attitude towards the game than the boys that are playing now as professionals are, although they were amateurs. I mean, Terry Holmes, for instance, Terry Holmes is, is uh, you'll you be in a dressing room now waiting for him to go out and, you know, they, they give a team talk. And I'll always remember Terry's last couple of words. Boys, you can't enjoy yourself after this game tonight if we lose. And I tell you what, if they lost, I used to go into the other room. I wouldn't stay, you know, because I'd collect the kit and, you know, my son would come with me and he would... We'd go out of the way. Because for half an hour after they came in, it's better if you to say nothing. Because they were... Oh... You could see them, you know, they were so disappointed. But now, you watch them coming off the field now. Internationals, big matches, they talk more to one to, to the other team and they talk to their own. You know, they, they, yeah, I saw John Charles 
I did, you know, I came out of the Air Force in 1940. I went in in 1945, just as the war was finishing, and I came out in 48. And I didn't miss a home soccer international until I went to the arms park in 61. And I saw a lot of... Uh, do you remember Alan Dilburn playing? Played for Morgan. And he played for Derby County. Um, uh, Alan played. Alan played in the same batch as um, uh, Jeff Jones and uh, Ivy Young. Okay. And he, oh. he played for Cardiff City. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember I was working in Scotland. And Alan was playing in Hamden. Um, uh, and I was working in Inverness and I had a rep with me and uh, he was a soccer fan and I said, what the hell are we doing up here when we are playing down there? So fair play, I rang Alan and uh, he met me after the game. My buddy sat there amongst Celtic and very Rangers supporters, I was frightened stiff. Ivor Alchurch was a star man, he was the best player I've ever seen. I, I uh, uh, remember when he went from Swansea to Newcastle and there was an international in Villa Park, Wales played England and he scored two goals against England and I was in the crowd and the Villa, Villa went after him, you see, they tried to sign him and when he scored, it was everybody shouting, why the hell didn't we get him, you know, and this up and the other. Yeah, uh, he was, um, or he, he was, he was as good a player as I, I've ever seen, I think. I mean, the thing with cricket, of course, you see, we, we used to love cricketers because, I mean, when I, when I moved, when I came back and went to Sophia, uh, I had a flat upstairs. I lived, we, we lived there, you see. And they didn't have any televisions in the dressing rooms in those days. But it, so if there was a test match on or something on, they'd come up to the house to the flat. And my missus didn't know anything more about this than him. Well, I, but she loved the boys, you know. She loved the boys. And, uh, because uh, she used to go down and sort of do some washing up with the, with, with the club cricketers in, in particular. She didn't see much of us. You know. But I remember once she was, um, I remember once she, <coughs> we had a little dog. It was only a small little thing. But she wouldn't dare let him go on the cricket field. But if you remember Sophia, in the early days, or Taylor Morgan took it over, there was a Cardiff rugby pitch right at the end. So she'd take the dog on there. She didn't care if you went on there, but she wouldn't go on there. And she was walking past one day, and what's the name had just joined us? Um, uh, Richards. Dave Richards. Dave Richards. So she, um, she, she was passing him now. And he said something to her, and she said something back to him, like, are you a cricketer? And he said, yes. 
and she said, uh, what's your name then? And he said, Richards. Oh, she said. Will you, will you wait there, she said, while I go and get my book. And she had bloody Delia Smith's bloody, crick, uh, you know, cookery book. Cookery book, yeah. So of course, then I go and I see the, the man, he says to me, man, he said, you've got some woman there. <laughs> Because she didn't know what the hell, you know, she didn't. Uh, so did he sign the cookery book? Yeah, but I can't find it. But I got it. Uh, and then what's the name? In that, the first one there. This one? Yeah. I, um, in the front page there. Tom Jones? Yeah, he came there one night, see? Yeah. He came boxing, he came to see the boxing in Sophia and he wanted to keep his car in. And he, the other one is uh, Max Boyce, is he Max? Yes. Uh, <coughs> so it says you can cook me a meal any time. What does that say? Sib, is it Sib? Sib, yeah. Round my place. While we're eating it, Albie can cut the grass. <laughs> Max Boyce. Tom Jones came there. And that's Linda, that's his, that's his wife's wife. wife. That's yeah. Tom's wife. And she, you know why? passed away, did she, didn't she? No, no. no oh, this? yeah, she did, yeah. Well, do you know do you know why she said that to him? She told Tom that he's finished. Well, that was bloody years ago. And she yeah, said... 1991. Oh, yeah, you're finished, she said. Linda, will you sign it for me? You heard a lovely story about Greg and, and Vip. No. Oh, I, uh, because Greg, you see, oh, Jesus. Oh, he was, he, he was a little boy, Greg. And he gets all worked up, you know, and he was bowling to Viv now, when Viv was playing for Somerset. Yeah, well, I was a, I was a big fan when I was, because we lived in Somerset, you see, so yeah. I was... A... Well, he was playing down here, you see, in, yeah. in Sophia. Yeah. And uh, Greg was now bowling. He was rolling from the river end. <coughs> and he sent his ball down. And he looked, stared at Viv because he'd missed it. See. And he played another one. Richard played and missed. And then the third one he sent down, played and missed again. And then Craig shouted to him, Baby he said, it's round and it's red, he said. Mm -hmm. Right? And the next ball, he, Craig hit the bugger over the bloody top. And he said, Tomo, he said, you better go and get it, you know what it looks like. <laughs> the late, great Albert Francis. Well, Stephen, what are your memories of speaking to him? Hard to believe, but we chatted for nearly two hours at the time. It was a difficult job to edit it down to the highlights, but I think the interview demonstrates everything that we'd like to do with these podcasts. It highlights those whose stories who do not normally get to be told. It allows those interviewed to tell their story in their own way. And it was a lot of fun to listen back to highlighting the endless enjoyment that many get through the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. 
We want these podcasts to reflect as many different stories as possible. So with that in mind, we'd like all clubs and recreational cricketers to get involved with something we are calling My Club, Our Story. Every club has something in their clubhouse or their possession that tells a story about the game of cricket in Wales. It could be an honours board or a bat once used by a famous player or a memento left by a touring club or from a tour that the club has been on. Please get in touch with us at mwcpod1921 at gmail.com. That's mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or via our Facebook and Twitter pages preferably with a photo of your artefact and its story. We'll try to get as many of these involved in the programme in the weeks and months ahead. We're really looking forward to hearing your stories about cricket in Wales. Yes, please do send us your photos and memories. Please find us on Facebook at CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Pod or Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. You can email us at mwcpod1921 at gmail.com. Join us next time for a Welsh language interview with Edward Bevan, the voice of Welsh cricket, as we go down memory lane to get his thoughts on Gallatin's success when he captained them in the village camp after the wars. Hooray!